Thank you for listening to the Paragon Church Podcast. This week, Sabbath rest. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit paragonchurch.com. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. But now that Thanksgiving is over, we are moving into Christmas. And Christmas is an exciting time. I want to thank those who came out yesterday to help us decorate. I want to thank them for coming out here and getting the, the church ready and Christmassy because according to the songs, this is the most wonderful time of the year. Now, I have to laugh just a little bit about it because not only is it the most wonderful time of the year, but it also seems to be the busiest time of the year. Christy and I sat down, we looked at our calendar, and we looked literally every day between now and Christmas Day had something going on. And so I almost feel like a hypocrite today to even be bringing you a message about finding rest. I, I sat there, I, actually I woke up this morning, I was kind of half in, half out of it, and I went, oh, I can't believe I'm going to talk about finding rest today. I had to drag my son out of bed to get here by 8 o'clock. You know, all the things, we were sitting there, I told Christy, I'm like, just come at 10.30, you have that option. I don't, I mean, I could, but that would make this first service a little shorter than normal. But the, the reality is, I began to looking at finding rest, and I started to think it's more about than even today what we want to talk about, about finding rest, but finding rest in Jesus. Jesus. Finding our rest in Jesus, and you know, I believe that's one of the reasons why Jesus came. We talked last week, if you were here last week with us, we had the communion service, and we said, why did Jesus come? That's what we remember. Well, one of the things he said to us is in Matthew 11, verse 28, it says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why did Jesus have to come to give us rest? Why did he come to give us rest? And one of the things that I thought about and really it sunk in is I think the reason why he came to give us rest is that we are tired people. We are tired people, and it's not just a tryptophan from the turkey over the last week. It's because we are a part of a culture that is overworked. We are part of a culture that is always striving for more. When we ask someone how they're doing, generally they respond with, I'm good, but really busy. Or I'm good, but I am exhausted. I'm running on fumes. I'm tired. I'm burnt out. Or as that verse says, I am weary. It's amazing to me as I looked at statistics and kind of was going through the thing for, for looking at this sermon, the amount of, of things that talk about us being overworked. Do you realize there are billions of dollars that go into the medical profession to take care of our overworking diseases? Things like heart disease, things like anxiety, things like depression, things like overeating, things, I mean, you can go down the list that all of these are attributed to the fact we don't get enough rest. As a matter of fact, CNN did a study that said people who work over 10 hours a day are 250% more likely to suffer from depression than somebody who works an average eight hours a day. That's just two extra hours, but how many of us do that? And, you know, here's something else that, that I think that really even leads to that depression is this. I think when we start working so hard all the time, we begin to realize that we can't do it all. And that almost leads to, why am I even bothering? And that's where that depression starts to sink in. We realize that we're not God. And in our lives, sometimes we want to be that so we can push through. Did you know the energy drinks like Monster, like Red Bull, and the, the mix-ins and all that stuff, a $12 billion a year industry. I got one in my fridge, in my office. 
It's always just a just-in-case between services just so I can get through 10.30 sometimes, you know. So you guys come and you get me fresh. By 10.30, I'm like, I just need just, just, a, just a little hit, just a little bit, you know, that kind of thing. Because I don't do coffee. But did you know that 64% of American adults drink at least two cups of coffee a day? Two cups of coffee a day. And for those that don't do it, we drink tea. That caffeine, we need that boost. We need those things. And let's be honest, it's not healthy. It's, it's something that leads to the destruction of families because we're, we're overworking, because we're pushing, we're trying to do something, we're investing all this time in at work. We fail to invest the time that is necessary at home. We invest so much in people who don't care that much about us, and we shortchange those who care the most about us. And it's a painful reality to think about. It's a painful thing to, to really look at, but, but the reality is, there's really a couple of reasons why we work so hard, why we push, even though we know the right thing, even though we need a Sabbath, why do we work so hard? Well, the first reason that I have, I have three of them written down here. The first one is, is our work is how we provide for ourselves. Our work is how we provide for ourselves. I mean, when you stop and think about it, we, we need to provide for ourselves. And sometimes we get into the habit of wanting to provide more and more and more, either for ourselves or sometimes we'll blame our kids to say, well, they need, so I have to work and I'm working that second job, third job, extra hours, whatever it might be, and I'm pushing it on. And the question we ask all throughout our seven deadly sins, and oftentimes, even as we look at some of the other stuff, is... When is enough enough? Why do we always need more? And when do we draw the line that enough is enough? And really, as we looked at with the seven deadly sins, it boils down to idolatry. Are we making idols of the stuff that we have? The second thing I wrote down is this. Our work is how we find our identity. Our work is how we find our identity. When you first meet somebody, there's two questions we generally ask. The first one is, is what's your name? Oh, what's your name? Second question is, is what do you do? What do you do? Because when we look at that thinking, we, we go, okay, this is who this person is by name, and this is who this person is by what they do. And oftentimes, people will judge us by what we do or what we don't do, so we want to beef that up. There was actually a Wall Street Journal article that talked about people actually inflate the amount of hours they work when they're in conversation with somebody to say even up to where they work 70 hours a week instead of 40 hours a week because it makes them sound more important to somebody else. But does it? Does it? But the problem is, is we like to judge in that way to say, you know what, if I work 70 hours a week, it just means that my business can't survive without me giving a little bit more than 40. And we like to kind of inflate that. Well, the third reason why we do it also is this. We're people pleasers. That's why we can't not work. That's the reason why we can't not instantly respond to an email or can't not instantly respond to a text or immediately make that phone call back. I think sometimes our phones are attached to us like an IV pumping in self-esteem. Because we find that identity in that, and we're people pleasers, and we have to continue to go after that. You know, and that's why some of you have already checked your phones today, even since I started speaking. Because we just, we got to pick it up, we got to look at it, we got to look at it, we got to look at it. And, and, and that's an issue. But can I tell you that as we meet today, as we sit and talk today, that this is why Jesus brings rest. This is why the gospel 
brings rest. This is why salvation brings rest. It offers rest from these three things and all other things too. What I would like for you to do today, if you can and you have your Bibles with you, would you do me a favor and open up to Hebrews chapter 4 for me? And as you open up to Hebrews chapter 4, I want to just give you just kind of a, a brief synopsis of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a great book. Uh, about a year, year and a half ago, we spent uh, a long time looking through Hebrews chapter 11 and the faith chapter. But the whole book in itself is all about the fact that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than anything that took place in the Old Testament. Jesus is greater than any character in the Old Testament because the people were trying to go back to Judaism, going back to the Old Testament ways, and the writer wanted to encourage them not to, to say Jesus is greater. And one of the things that the Old Testament had to offer was salvation through works-based righteousness. To, to, to do good, to do these list of rules, to do all these things, and Jesus came and he took care of that. He fulfilled that for us. But people continue to, to want to work to find that identity, to find that righteousness, to find these things in God. So as we look that Jesus came to change it, and he came to give us rest, he came to give us identity, we see it here in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. The first word there is therefore, and it says, therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains. Now, the reason why it says that there is at the end of chapter 3, it talks about the rest that the Israelites in the Old Testament did not get because of their disobedience. Because they didn't follow after God. God had given them the word, God had given them the direction, but they chose not to follow. They chose not to follow, so they didn't have that rest. The promise, though, of the rest is still there. So it says, therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware, or let us fear, is what some translations say, that none of you be found having fallen short. Now, that might sound like a works-based righteousness, but once again, he's, he's talking to these people who are le leaning into the works base to say, don't think that you can earn it on your own. And he goes on from there in verse 2, says, For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed entered the rest. That's talking about us today, the faith in the gospel that brings rest. For those of you who are believers, you have this rest. In keeping with what he said, so I swore in my anger that they will not enter my rest. So one, you have the, the faith side of it all, that we can enter the rest. This is the flip side saying those who do not have faith, those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, will not have rest. No matter what you strive for, no matter what you hunger for, it's not going to provide. Our rest comes through the salvation found in Jesus Christ. It says this from there, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world, for somewhere... He has spoken about the seventh day in this way, and on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. We call that the Sabbath, and we're going to talk more about that shortly. Here's what it says in verse 5. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified, speaking through David after such a long time, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, 
so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. There's a lot in this passage, and we're not going to cover it all today. We're not going to be able to cover it all because, there, I mean, there really is so much weight to it. But what I do want you to hear is, I mean, I don't know how many times you heard the word rest in there. But what I want to do today is I want to look at this Sabbath idea. I want to explain the concept of the Sabbath. And secondly, I want to explain how you can find Sabbath rest. How it's more than just a day off. Because really, what, here's what we need to understand. While the Sabbath is a command to take a day off, the, the, the Sabbath rest and the Sabbath itself isn't just a day to take a day off. It all points to Jesus because Jesus is greater. And so as we take that rest, these are the things that should, should happen. That Sabbath idea, it's a big deal. As a matter of fact, it's such a big deal, it made God's top ten. It, it, it told us to take a rest, to honor the Sabbath. And the funny thing is, it's probably one of the ones that we violate the most. And as we are talking to people, and I said, you know, oh, man, how you doing today? Oh, I'm good, but I'm busy. I'm good, but I got this workload. Oh, I don't know the last time I took a day off, blah, blah, blah. And we just kind of go, oh, oh, that's great. But imagine this for me for just a second. Imagine the fact that somebody's talking to you and they decide to slip in another one of the top ten of God's big things. Like, don't commit adultery or don't commit murder. And we put that in there instead. Oh, hey, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm good, but I've just been sleeping with my neighbor's wife. It's probably not going to fly real well. Or if we said, well, you know, I just killed my neighbor. No big deal. Yeah, ha, ha, we're going to pat We do that, though, with the idea of the Sabbath. When somebody says they're so busy, we're almost okay with it. But I'll tell you what, taking a day off is so important, but it's also so difficult. But even bigger than that, Christ came to fulfill the Old Testament. That's what the Hebrew writer is trying to tell us here. He came to fulfill that Old Testament, that he is greater. And as he came to fulfill the Sabbath, his Sabbath rest, the rest we find in him, is even greater importance than a day off. It's of even greater importance than that. See, the point of this message is not to convince you to take a day off between now and Christmas. That is not the point of this message. The point of this message is, is to find rest in Jesus. But I believe it comes with understanding why we need a Sabbath. Why we need to find something in the Sabbath more than just a day off to just get back to work. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at how the Sabbath builds throughout the Bible. And as it builds throughout the Bible, the first time we see the Sabbath is actually found in creation. The first time we see the Sabbath is actually found in creation. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. Did he have to? No, but he did it to set up an example for us. Through Moses, God commanded that we do the same. Check out what it says here in Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 11. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. Your son, your daughter, you, your male fem or female servant, your livestock, the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Why did God do that? 
Why did God do that? Well, first, I think the Sabbath reminds us and reminded them that God was and is the point. He is the point. Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and we forget that this life isn't about us. We begin to think that what we do and all the things that we're striving for and all the stuff that for us makes a big difference, but it's not about us. It's really all about God. The reason why we came to the table last week to remember is to take a day and just remember it is not about us. It's all about Him. Everything we do, everything He's done for us is all about Him. So we're commanded to stop working and remember why we're here in the first place, that we weren't created for ourselves, we were created for God. The work that we're supposed to do is to glorify Him, not to glorify us. What if we stepped back and took a second to think about that? To realize the Sabbath gives us that opportunity to realize that God is and was the point. The second thing is, is it reminds us that it reminds us as well as the Israelites that God was and is the provider. God was and is the provider. Can I ask you why people don't take a day off? Why don't you take a day off? What's our number one excuse? There's always work to do. That's why. There's always work to do. I've always got work to do. You've always got work to do. And you know what? We can let that work drown us and take us over. And the reason why we do that is if we continue to do that, then we know we're going to continue to be providing for ourselves in some way, shape, or form. Do you think the Israelites had work to do when it came time for Sabbath? Do you think that somewhere in all of the time that they had, that they had crops they had to tend to, they had water they had to go get, they had food, they had, they had all kinds of, I mean, they didn't have a fridge like we do where we could just go to it and get out the things that we stored from the other days. They actually had legitimate things they had to worry about in some way, yet God said, I want you to take a day off. I want you to work six days, take off the seventh. I want you to cut your productivity by one seventh. If your boss came to you and said that to you, would we rejoice just a little bit? I want you to re- just cut your productivity by one-seventh. Take a day off. I don't want you to think about it. I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to work extra hard on the other six days. I want you to be diligent in those six days, but not extra hard. We start thinking about it. You know, why did God ask them to do it? I truly believe that it gives space for him to show that he is the great provider. That he is the great provider. That that he's the one that's going to take our six days of work and multiply it where it's more than us trying to do seven days without him. It's kind of like a tithe. Why do we tithe? Why do we give 10%? Why is that a command to do? Well, it's because they say that, that God can do more with our 90 than we can with our 100. And that's the reality of it. There's promises all throughout Scripture that way. I think the Sabbath is the same thing, that God can do more with six days than we can with seven. I'll give you a business example. Uh, We went into Hobby Lobby. It just opened up down here at the mall. I'm not sure if you're aware that Hobby Lobby is closed on Sundays. But we couldn't move inside of there. God was blessing. And I'm just like, I'm getting out. Because... I don't like a lot of people, and I don't really care about crafts, so those two things were not good for me. But I'll give you a better example in a thing called Chick-fil-A. Now, I'm not sure if I mentioned the word Chick-fil-A and you immediately get hungry. I'm going to break news to you. They will not be open today because it is Sunday, and that is just just the worst timing for me personally. I like Chick-fil-A, and I like it a lot. Here's something you need to know about Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A doesn't have the most amount of restaurants, 
But per restaurant, they are the highest rated, highest income bringing fast food restaurant in the United States. They make $6 billion a year. So taking off one day a week, if you do the math, you're assuming they're giving up a, mil- a billion dollars over the course of a year. But has God blessed each and every individual restaurant to make them be number one, the, the ones that bring in the most profit, the ones that bring in the most income? Yeah. And they take a day off. And it's been something since the very beginning. I truly believe that God will bless if we say, you're the great provider. I can't do it all on my own. And when we look at that, I believe that God says he never wants us to forget that we ultimately depend on him for our provision. We may work. We may have gifts. We may have abilities. We may have talents. We may have treasures. We may have all the things we've talked about. But where do we get them from? Yeah, it all comes from God. It's it's not me. I didn't come up with all of the things. And we need a day to stop and remember it, that he is the point and that he is provider. Now, I told you there's a couple of different things we're going to build through. And the first thing is, is, as we looked at Exodus chapter 20, now I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. The second purpose, uh, purpose of the Sabbath is found right here. It says this, Be careful to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or your donkey, any of your livestock, or the resident alien who lives within your city gates, so that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath. See, the second thing we have to see here is the Sabbath is a day to reflect on our salvation. Who brought the Israelites out of slavery? Did they do it? Did they come up with the ten plagues on their own and say, hey, we're going to do this so we can get out of here. We can break free. No, they, they really had nothing to do with it. It says right here in that verse that with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, that is how the Lord has taken us out. And I want you to take the Sabbath to remember that. Now, when I think about my salvation, you know how much I had to do with it? None. It was by the grace of God that he reached out to me. It was by the grace of God that he sent his son, that while I was a still, still a sinner, that his son would die for me. See, the Sabbath is a day for us to remember that, that we had nothing to do with our salvation. And you want identity? You were once a slave, it says here. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. What were we a slave to? Our sins. We were a slave to death. But, He came in by the power of his outstretched arm, his strong hand, and he pulled us out of that. We are no longer slaves. We are children of God. A Sabbath is a day to remember that. There's a third purpose, though, and it's found back in our Hebrews passage, so if you still have your Bibles open to it, go to verse 9 and 10. It says, Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. See, the the Hebrew writer is talking about the fact that Jesus is better. He he is better rest than even what the Sabbath gives. If we lean into Jesus, if, if we fully understand that Jesus is the salvation 
from our sins. He's a salvation from us trying to, to make it happen on our own. We will find ultimate rest. And I'm going to give you four statements today that help add up to the fact that Jesus gives us ultimate rest. Really, here's what we need to understand. Until we get this ultimate rest in Christ, there's not a vacation there is not a hobby, there is not a new job, or even a day off that will ultimately give you the rest you need until you find the ultimate rest in Jesus Christ. So the first thing we need to see, the first statement I want you to hold on to is this, is that Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. If you look at verse 10 again, it says, For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. See, he's saying you don't have to earn your righteousness anymore. Jesus came and fulfilled that. We don't have to earn our place before God. But most people spend their lives trying to justify themselves, trying to cover up our faults and exaggerate our goodness. Because we still live in that thinking that, that somehow, we, even with Christ, that we're guilty. We feel unimportant. We feel naked. We feel exposed. We, we see ourselves without. So we manufacture titles. We manufacture personas. We manufacture accomplishments to cover up our nakedness, to cover up that which is exposed. But the problem, I mean, it really goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, doesn't it? I mean, when you stop and think about it, doesn't it really fit that whole mold of Adam and Eve when, when they sinned, that they were exposed? Because before they sinned, they were still naked, but yet they were covered in the righteousness of God. But when that righteousness was removed, when they were removed from that, they were exposed and they were naked, and they began to look for covering. And when you stop and think about it, isn't that a picture of our human condition today? We're all looking for covering some way to justify ourselves. That's what sin does. And that's why it says in verse 13, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Here's the great thing about the gospel. Here's the great thing about Jesus is that he came and he destroys our, our, our faulty justifications. He comes and he wipes them away because he says, you don't have to try and cover yourself. In their place, the gospel of Christ gives us righteousness. It covers us in righteousness. We regain that love. We regain the acceptance. We regain all the things that we've always craved when we meet Jesus. That Jesus is greater because he's our righteousness. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. And there's nothing that we have done that makes God love us any less. Jesus is the great high priest. As a matter of fact, if you read into 14 there in Hebrews chapter 4 and read through the rest of the chapter, it talks about how Jesus is the great high priest, how he goes on our behalf, how he came and he took it. And he understands who we are. See, he came to do that. He is our righteousness. The second thing we see is Christ is our identity. Christ is our identity. We can never rest if we're trying to find our identity in our work. It's not possible. Because there's always going to be more to do. There's always going to be that opportunity to, to prove yourself of value. And you're going to have to take it. And you're going to have to take it. And you're going to have to take it. I don't know how many of you guys like the movies Rocky. There's like 75 of them now. 
Um, there, there's a new one that just came out. Looking forward to going and seeing that with Camden here shortly, the, the, the Creed 2. But here, the very first one, the one that got it all started, Rocky talks about why he has to go out there and continue to fight. Let me, let me tell you the quote from the movie. It says this, If that bell rings and I'm still standing, he says, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. See, he fights to prove his value. He, he fights to prove that he is somebody because he desperately wants to have that identity. He wants to establish that identity. And I don't think we're any different. We, we constantly want to fight. We constantly dream to, to have a title, to be top of our class, to get married, to make six figures. To, you name it, you have something that is in there that we use to try and justify who it is. But as we establish that identity, we all know that it's exhausting to keep it. If we don't find our identity in Christ, see, that's why the gospel speaks differently. It says, you are held in the highest regard by the highest being. You are loved by the creator of the universe. You are his child. And when we understand that God's in our corner and he loves us as much as he does, can I just ask you a question? Why do we care so much about what the world thinks? But yet we live in that bubble far too often. When we can finally rest in Christ, we understand we have a permanent identity as God's child. Did you know that psychologists say there are three major needs of a human being? The top three major needs of a human being is this. One, to feel morally clean. Two, to feel safe. Three, to feel significant. Those are the top three needs. According to secular psychologists, this isn't from some Christian journal or something like that, trying to morph it. But you know what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11? It says this, verse 11, and some of you used to be like this. You used to be finding your identity elsewhere, but you were washed. You know what it means to be washed? Be found morally clean in Christ. You were sanctified, which means you were set apart in God's eyes. Therefore, you've now found your significance. You were justified. You were safe in the sight of God, just as if I had never sinned. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. Isn't it amazing how psychologists say that our top three needs are here, and we find those top three needs in Christ? It's not coincidence. I can't even begin to tell you how much this speaks to me regularly. See, if, if I stray from finding my identity in Christ, there's really two other areas where I try and find my identity. One is as a dad and husband, and the other one is a pastor. And too often, let me just tell you, my day off is Monday. And if Sunday doesn't go well, my day off is terrible. Because all I think about is, is well, the attendance was down. And, oh, I wonder what the offering is going to be like when they count it tomorrow. And, oh, I wonder if my message was even received. Did I just waste my time this week? Those are thoughts that, that aren't real, but they are the ones that pound me in my head on a constant basis. Because somehow I think that my identity is found if there's seats empty or seats full. Somehow my identity is found in whether the offering box is empty or if it's full. Or if, if people's heads are empty or if they're full. I mean, somehow I find that, and I have to constantly be reminded that it is not about me. It's all about Christ. Do the job you've been given to do, but don't find your identity in it. Find your identity in the one who gave you that job. See, here's the crazy truth. Without Christ as your identity, you will work even when you are resting. 
But when Christ is our identity, we will rest even when we're working. That is what we need to hold on to, that when we find Christ, we can find that rest. But third statement, Christ is our security. See, one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn in my life is I can't control everything. I sure do try. I sure do try to have my hand in every bit and every piece, but I can't control everything. I cannot provide for every contingency that might come my way. I, I can't do it. And the reason why is because I'm not God. It's just a, I know some of you think it, but I'm just going to just, just knock, your, knock your thoughts down just a little bit because I'm not that high up on the pedestal. The reality is is I'm not God, and I get stressed about trying to carry the burdens that God is supposed to be carrying, that the security that that he says I've got. And I'm like, well, I I can't take a day off because I can't afford to. And God says, you better believe you can't afford to. You can't afford to do it. But that is more reason why we need to go back to the idea of the Sabbath, of him being the point and him being the provider. We have to look back at that and say, it goes back to the, the idea of taking that break and understanding that he's got it because I can't afford to do it. I can't afford to give a tithe. But God says, this is it, trust me. You know, we sang that song, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, to, to prove him at his word. Do we truly trust in Jesus with our Sabbath, with our tithe? Do we do these things to truly prove him at his word, that what he says is true, and that he will take care of us? He'll take care of the the 90% better than we can do the 100. He'll take care of the the six days better than we can take care of the seven. Do we do that? He is our security. If you look at the book of Psalms in Psalm 127, it says, The Lord builds a house, and the Lord watches the city. It's not my job to be the security over that. It is my job to do what he's called me to do. It's not my job to lay awake at night worrying. How many of you guys have done that and actually benefited you the next day? None of us, yet we will continue to do it over and over and over again because somehow we forget that God is ultimately responsible for the house and that he is ultimately responsible for the city, that he is our security. We're just supposed to be good and act wisely with the time and the opportunity, the ability that he's given us. Statement number four is this. Christ is our priority. The Sabbath says that Christ is the point of it all. Resting in him and resting in that fact, I think, helps us remember why we do what we do. Why we are heading in the direction that we are heading. Why you're in the car and where you're going right now. One of my favorite features on my phone is GPS navigation. Because when somebody gives me directions, and they're like, oh, okay, all you have to do is, I'm like, all I have to do is punch in my phone. You don't have to tell me anything else. It will take me exactly where I need to go. And the most beautiful thing is, is that you punch in the destination, and it tells you which way to go. And if somehow my kids are making too much noise in the back, and I can't hear what's said, and I miss a turn, you know what? My GPS little fella, he gently reminds me that he's going to recalculate And he's going to bring me back around to the path where I'm supposed to be at. I I like that. I like that. And I like the British voice and the Australian voice. It's just even that much better, you know. It's just that, that bringing back around when I miss something. But here's the thing. If you never punch in the final destination, the GPS is worthless. 
It's just going to show you where you're at. We know where we're at. The problem is we don't always know where we're going. And I believe when we make Christ our priority, it's like punching in that final destination. When it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. What are all these things? All these things. That's exactly right. It, it means that I don't have to worry about all the things of life because I'm seeking him first. It means I no longer have to worry about obsessing about money or about relationships or about work. We focus on faithfulness. He takes care of the rest. We focus on faithfulness. He takes care of the rest. But how easy is that? Because I really like to be in control. I really like that in my life. See, since Christ offers inner rest to be our righteousness, to be our identity, to be our security, to be our priority, and we just have to simply believe in his gospel and follow after him because God says, the book of Hebrews says, Christ is greater than us trying to earn our way and cover ourselves. There's one last little verse that I hope you caught when we read through Hebrews chapter 4. It was found in verse 7. There's a quote from David from the Old Testament. It says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, like I said, I, I find joy when somebody actually responds to my message. Like I didn't just work all week long for no purpose whatsoever. But I'd rather you found joy in what God has to say to you. And not harden your hearts to say, well, that Sabbath thing, I'll start that in January. <laughs> you know it's not going to happen, just like every other New Year's resolution. I, I challenge you today to find rest in Jesus. That this isn't just some other nice sermon, but that find rest in his salvation, find rest in his love, find rest in his peace. That even while you're working, you'll find rest. But you have to know Jesus first. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, can I challenge you today to meet him, to not harden your heart, to, to open up your lives to who he is and, and, and make him the final destination of your life and let that GPS point you in the right direction. And even when you take that little extra turn, he'll politely bring you back around to, to making him the final destination. That is my challenge for you today. And if you are a believer in Christ, is he plugged in? Is he the one that you're chasing after? I challenge you that even in this busy season to make him the reason. I believe there's a corny, cheesy phrase that says, Jesus is the reason for the season. You stick it on bumper stickers and all that stuff, but the reality is, is it's true. It's true. He's the reason why we exist. He's the reason why we celebrate. Let's not lose that in the craziness that's about ready to happen starting tomorrow. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and thank you for what you do. I look forward to to seeing you glorified during this season that is specifically about you. That what other time of year do we hear your name proclaimed in the movies through song and your name proclaimed in the malls and the stores through song and your name being sung on what we would call mainstream radio. God, I pray this is an opportunity for us to see you for who you are our final destination, our priority, our righteousness, our security. God, point us in that direction. Help open our eyes today. Don't let our hearts be hardened, but instead, God, help us to know that we need you. I pray it in your name. Amen.